Zoe. Hi, Raf. How are you going? Oh, happy to talk with you. I'm happy to talk with you too. This is a different day of the week than we normally talk. No one would know that, but yeah. it, it is. It's kind of bringing it forward a little. It's fun. It is. It's very unusual. So, yeah, we don't usually have these chats. So these chats for those out there in the stratosphere, they're usually our Thursday jam, aren't they? Yeah, Thursday. Thursday, 3 p.m. Thursday, 3 p.m. And today we've gone totally, totally off script and we're, we're Tuesday 11 a.m. Yeah, Australian Eastern Daylight Time. It's like, whoa. So I'm I'm still on my first coffee for the day, guys. <laughs> oh, how many how many coffees in a typical day for you? Oh, I'm pretty happy on two large long blacks a day, but that's large. So what's that? That's a good. That's probably depending who makes it. That's a good four shots. Yeah, I love those quadruple espressos. Yeah, sometimes they like they look at me and go, Chloe. You want a triple today? I'm like, go for it. You know what? <laughs> Thank you for reading me well. <laughs> um, last night, I've been thinking about happiness a bit recently. And last night, I was, um, I've been looking into the research on happiness, you know, what makes people happy, what makes people unhappy. Oh, I and love stuff. that. Um, and so, one of the things I, I decided to do as a result of this research was last night, I was making a list. I made a couple of lists, actually. I made a list of the things people, situations and activities that bring me the most joy and, you know, help me get into flow easily. Yeah. Um, and then also made a list of the things, people, situations and activities that bring me the least joy, the most frustration, you know, irritation, anxiety and get me out of flow. And um, it's interesting just this conversation about coffee because one of the things that was on both lists was coffee. Um, so, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, for me, like having like two, three, four coffees a day – definitely makes me feel happy <laughs> like <laughs> just gets me like I find I can get flow easily I just get yeah. totally into working on something and, and get you know just in, into the zone with it but also it really disrupts my sleep if I have more than one a day and that makes me right. feel like crap so it's kind of like yeah right. rock in a hard place yeah, that is fascinating. And what I'm loving, and because I, I mean, I'm a we know I'm a raving coffee fan, and I can teeter, I can kind of self manage these days and know if that next one is just going to push me into some hectic kind of <laughs> anxious, <laughs> you know, <laughs> this is not okay mode. Uh-huh. Um, but there's so many studies done on either end with coffee. Like I read an amazing study in there actually did, you know, all the different things that that disrupt sleep. And they basically, and oh gosh, I'm going to have to find this for the show notes now, aren't I? It was an amazing study. I hope I can find it again. And they looked at different things that disrupt sleep and they looked at coffee, um, alcohol and smoking, cigarettes. Yeah. The breakfast and of it champions. Was breakfast of champions. But so it was like people doing this at night and they looked at and they basically looked at the different how many hours like and they kind of graded it how many hours prior to this um, these people going to sleep. Right. And they sort of like, does it disrupt you if you have it four hours beforehand? Does it just et cetera, et cetera. The interesting thing was, and I hope I'm recalling this correctly, but I remember it stuck out to me. So cigarettes, cigarettes are a huge sleep disruptor, like huge sleep disruptor. Right, we know cigarettes are just. If we're talking about all cause mortality, we'll, think of any. They're right outcome, up there, right? Think of any health outcome. Cigarettes yeah. make it worse. Yeah, yeah, and they make pain worse, which is interesting too. Well, there's lots of studies with in regards to cigarettes and pain. Have you seen those, Ralph? And yeah, and actually, really if if you're listening to this and you're alive. Uh, and you wanted to stay alive for as long as possible, and you only wanted to do one thing to increase the length of life, the number one thing you could do is don't smoke. Wow. 
Yeah, don't even worry about diet, getting vaccinated, exercising, anything like that. Just not smoking is the most potent tool wow. we have for life extension. Wow. 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 Yeah. Anyway, back anyway, to the study, coffee. and I yeah. will try and find this study for you guys. The most fascinating thing for me was that coffee was the least disruptive out of alcohol, cigarettes. And in fact, there were some people whose sleep was pretty much not disrupted whatsoever, their quality of sleep, by having a coffee. And I feel like it was something like four to three hours out before they were going to bed. So a lot later than, you know, other studies have shown, because there's lots of studies on, you know, on, on the effects of sleep and coffee. But anyway, it's really fascinating. I'll see. I really hope I can find this study again for you guys, because everyone's probably thinking, love to see it. Um, mm. I found it fascinating. Yeah. So, yeah. Hey, one more thing. Can I just something, and I'm just throwing this at you a bit left of center, Raph, but it's been playing on my mind after a conversation um, I had the other night. So, with, you're like, oh, what's she going to talk about? No, it, it was, I, I met up, like, so I've been meeting up because everyone probably knows I'm, I'm moving interstate, so doing big goodbyes and saying goodbye to friends. And a dear friend of mine, Nadine, who is in Sydney, but she'd actually come and stayed with me in Melbourne when I was first studying for my first Pilates course, right, to, to be a Pilates instructor, which we know was Stott. It was back in the day and it was Stott. So I, we're talking sort of this would have been eight plus years ago now when I was actually studying and Nadine came and I, I was like, oh, I, I really need to, I really need to study and practice my skills. Can I, can I use, you know, you, you know, and she's like, yeah, sure. And I went through, and this is what she brought up the other night, that I went through this really detailed like um, analysis of her body and any like and I'm doing this in air quotes, imbalances, but at the time I sure as hell wouldn't have put air quotes there. And she said that I came up with a large list of things she needed to fix uh, and then I never fixed them. So here's a dear friend of mine that has now for years been going through that's what she remembers of that of that interaction mm. and and. Fuck me, the I was devastated, Ralph. Devastated, like, and I was sat around the table with other Pilates instructors, including Caroline, friend of BE, and Carol and I both looked at each other and went, "Oh no, oh that's so out of date." Now you just want to do that, and Nad's like, "Oh, is it out of date?" I'm like, "Oh no, Nadine, I'm just like, where, like, where do I start with unpacking that? That I just fed her a whole heap of absolute bullshit nocebo." Um, and that was part of that bloody curriculum and part of what I had to learn to do. Like I had to palpate bony landmarks and tell someone if their pelvis was, oh, rough. Yeah. It felt well, pretty awful. I, I felt really freaking awful. Um, in the Pilates world, there's a whole lot of uh, pathologizing normal. Yeah. Um. And there's a whole lot of fragility thinking, you know, like thinking about humans as inherently fragile and, you know, prone to damage and wear and tear, you know, rather than thinking about people as, you know, what we think of as anti-fragile, which is a term coined mm, by I love that term. Taleb, you know, um, and, and, and truly humans are anti-fragile, you know, up to a point, like, you know, if you want a human, to, 
cute to thrive, like don't wrap them in cotton wool and stick them in a flotation tank away from all stressors for 10 years. You know, mm, they come mm. out, they'll be stark raving mad, osteoporotic and in organ failure. You know, you, what you actually need to thrive as a human is a certain degree of stress, you know, applied in the form of mm. exercise and, you know, whatever. And and so, like, humans actually require stress in order to thrive. You know, like, we, we don't – we you know, fragile things like your grandma's crystal vase, any stress applied to it is likely to damage it. You know, it's not going to make it better. Whereas humans, you know, stressors applied to humans, you know, up to a limit, obviously um, – we we benefit from it. We we adapt. We get stronger. And so this this whole I think view in the Pilates world that you know there are imbalances and that's bad and you're going to cause wear and tear and damage and it's like no that's that's a mechanistic you know machine based metaphor of how the body works. Like machines wear out. You know mm. humans don't wear out. Humans adapt. Humans are biological you know systems. We're not machines. So anyway, we could mm. we could talk about that today. We could, but we've got another topic to talk about. <laughs> we're definitely gonna we're gonna do that. that that'll be a that'll be a 20, 2021. Right. That'll be a, update your metaphor for the update your metaphor for the body. It's not a freaking machine. It's an organism. Not a machine. Yeah. It's a it's a it's a beautiful, adaptive, highly intelligent organism that you know. Yeah. So yeah, I, and I and I am really really want to put out a public apology to. Anyone that I've ever said anything less to. And yes. uh, all right, I might as well too while you're at it. That'd be all my clients, you know, prior to 2013, I reckon. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. So this is our, this is our, we're sorry. This so is, this is a, we're really sorry, like really genuinely. Like, yeah. And all my, okay. all my instructor students and yeah, yeah, that was, up until that point as well. Yeah. Yeah. But. How cool that we can all we can all evolve, and that's the cool thing too. We can, yeah. you know, let's let's get the critical thinking caps on and cognitive agility and how power. Let's go into right. the future. Yeah. Well, that was the longest um, sort of intro preamble well, we've ever done. <laughs> There's the podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's like a Led Zeppelin song from 1978 or something. You know, 14 minutes in, we, we haven't even had the first verse yet. You know, we're still in the intro. Oh, I used to the love those when I was a playing. teenager. I love the intro. I was like, yeah, let it keep going. It's great. <laughs> now I'm like, come on, guys, cut to the chase. So without further ado, let's cut to the chase. Okay. What are we going to talk about? <laughs> okay. We're going to talk about industry bodies today. So Pilates and, and uh, you know, more, more nuanced than that, Pilates industry bodies. Okay. This isn't like people with hot bodies in the industry. Is that what, you, is that what we're talking about? Pilates. <laughs> what is a Pilates no, body is- anyway? <laughs> A Pilates body is literally anyone who does any sort of Pilates. So if you've got a, a body, if body. you've got a body you've and got, you do Pilates. You're a Pilates body. Okay, great. Good. Glad we got yeah. that out of the way. Yes. And I love that too. It's like the you know, get a bikini body by summer. It's like, no freaking hell, you got a body, put a bikini on. There's your bikini body. Like uh, I've never had a bikini body if that's if like, that's the, the, the measurement. Like just whack it on and have a swim. If you're into swimming, go for it. Go for gold. I'm more of a one-piece guy myself. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, well, I, don't, I don't imagine you really going. You know, I don't visualize you as a swimming sort of dude. You know, when seeing I, as you hate, actually, sun. I'm pr- quite a good swimmer. When I was much younger, I was a surf lifesaver, and I actually competed in the state. Right. At, no, the, you were not at state uh, title level in uh, 50 meter freestyle. What? Um, 
but uh, I've never I, known this about you, Ralph. That's I, amazing. So I, I quite like swimming, but I just hate the sun. I hate hot. I hate salt. I hate sand. I hate sticky. I hate flies. I've got pale skin. I burn within five minutes, even with SPF fifty plus on. Um, I just the, I've got this thick Polish peasant body that retains heat very efficiently. Perfect for the for the tundra, frozen tundra of Eastern Europe, but not awesome for thirty eight degree days in you know the beach. Bondi Beach. Yeah. And um, so I I actually quite like swimming. I just hate. <sighs> Heat and sun, and so well, I tell you where I love swimming. Actually, on my list, this was on my list yeah. of things that I that yeah. really bring me joy. Was swimming in a like usually it's when I'm in a hotel because that's any time I have the opportunity to do it. But if I if you know when I used to travel a fair bit to to teach, yeah. um, swimming in a hotel pool after a great run, right? So go for a great oh, like yeah, get up nice. early in the morning, have a fantastic run, come back, have a quick cold shower into the pool, man. And that is just like lying there watching the sky because a lot of these pools are outdoors. Like yeah, they're on, cool, on the roof are they? Yeah, they are, yeah. And, yeah, so that's – I love being in water. but and I, and I love – you know, I've got really fond memories of Bronte Beach and Bondi Beach and stuff. And I, I used to live in Bronte and go down to the beach there every day. But yeah, I'd, I forget that. Yeah, I just hate the, hate the sun and the, all that, yeah. Yeah, right. I'm not, I'm not a sit-on-the-beach kind of guy. No, I mean I'm not a sit. I'm I've I've got the fair the fair the fair skin too. I'm definitely not a sit on the beach kind of gal. But yeah, well there we go. Well that was yeah. cool. I just learned something about you that I didn't know. Yeah. So anyway, so what kind okay. of industry anyway. bodies are we talking about anyway? Back back to industry bodies. Um. So, for instance, in Australia, the PAA and the APMA. The Pilates Alliance of Australasia and the Australian Pilates Method Association. Yes, there you go. Thank you. I probably couldn't have told you the full version of the acronyms. I tend to get tongue-tied. And, and in, in America, it's the Pilates Method Association. That's right. Yeah. So, yeah, so I guess I guess the, um, uh, the elephant in the room is that they're relevant and that you need to be a member of one. Um, in order to claim some sort of legitimacy uh, as a uh, Pilates instructor, Pilates teacher, uh, yeah, would you, would you agree with that, Raf? As yeah, the elephant, I reckon. I reckon. Well, there. I reckon there are two. There, are, those are two elements, and I think there's another one that they quote regulate, unquote. Oh yes, 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 yes. Brilliant, brilliant. And the reason I want to talk about this is because it does keep coming up. Yeah. You know, um, it keeps coming up. It keeps coming up in forums, you know, it comes up if our students ask. It just it just keeps popping up um, and sometimes, you know, in, not in the nicest way uh, on on um, Pilates forums and threads. So, um, yeah, I like to go through kind of the facts and, yeah, a little bit about what I'd also at some point like to chat about, just sort of my experience of um, the representation uh, of, of oh, yeah, the, the, oh, for want of a better word, the, the mean girlness a little bit <laughs> that I've witnessed, sadly. Um, yeah, have a chat about that too. All right. So, um, yeah, where shall we start? Well, I think um, it's – like what I think it's good to talk about what what these organizations are 
mm. what they offer, what it's maybe perceived that they can offer regulate, but what in fact, you know, what are, in fact are the truths around that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's a big place to start. Pick a, pick a bit there, Rash, and go for it. Um, well, uh, let's start with um, just a little history of um, Pilates in Australia, and I think this is oh yeah, I'd love that is pretty accurate, really, as well as to Pilates in the US, um, for example. But I'm less, you know, less knowledgeable about the industry in the US, obviously. But uh, you know, I've been over there a bunch of times, and I've got a bunch of friends. You know, we've both got a bunch of friends in the industry. We've all read Cage yeah. Lion. Yeah. So um, anyway, I, I can speak about Australia with a fair degree of confidence, and um, so basically, like you know, here we are. In you know the the early 2020s, uh, I'm trying to make this show future proof, right? So if you're listening to okay. it in the future, you're not you're not thinking like, oh, back in that specific date. All right, anyway, so if you could travel back in time to like I don't know 1980, and you know walking down this the street of some kind of you know outer suburb in a major capital city of Australia, and peer in the front door of a typical Pilates studio, right? you would not see any reformers. Like instead, like you'd see people, a group of people wearing like Jane Fonda leotards, yeah. um, you know, over leggings um, with very high cut kind of situations and um, they'd be doing a place. I wore them to the gym. Yeah. I had that. Yeah. I had all that. It was the G-string leotard. Yeah, what a what one. an era. Yeah. What an era in fashion. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, it's coming, and yeah, coming back, obviously. <laughs> Probably. But, um, but yeah, so so what you'd see is a group of people wearing that kind of attire um, doing a Pilates mat work class. Um, right. And because all through the, you know, and in fact, you'd, you'd have to search a long time to find a Pilates studio to look in the front door of because in all through the 80s and the 1990s, even into the, like, early to mid-2000s, Pilates was a tiny, obscure cottage industry serving a minuscule sub niche of the fitness market like pilates was so freaking obscure at this time mm. like it was just a non-starter in terms of if you asked any random person in on the street to name they're the top 100 forms of exercise pilates would not be on any of their lists no um, and it looked a bit jane fondery didn't it like it was a bit yeah it was kind of like, dancery and yeah. and jane fondery yeah mm. um so Pilates studios were really scarce. There were no Pilates franchises. Group Reformer didn't exist yet. Um, you know, Pilates was essentially taught in this really artisanal, small situation, which I'll talk about in a second. But basically, like, this was a an era, and again, if you've, you know, read Caged Line, you'll know all about this, but basically kind of from the 1970s up until the early 2000s, the pace of change within the Pilates world was really glacial, right? It was mm. – there was – you know, Pilates studios were handed down from teacher to apprentice over decades, you know, like the same handful of aging but loyal Pilates enthusiasts were their regular clients, you know, um, like the sole kind of Pilates in this situation, well, the sole kind of group Pilates in that era was mat work. And in fact, the term Pilates mat work during this era was like interchangeably used with the term group Pilates class. So mat work meant something you do in a group. Um, and the alternative to doing mat work was to do what was called equipment Pilates or studio Pilates, where you worked on all of the Pilates equipment. So that's the Cadillac, the, the Wonder Chair, the Reformer and the Balance, yep. right? And so mm-hmm. 
all of the equipment was kind of lumped into one category. There was there was the category of doing equipment Pilates and there was a category right. of doing mat work Pilates. Right. Um, and so, you know, in if you, if you walked into that, you know, through the mat work studio into that Pilates you peeked in the door of, you know, you'd probably find out the back or somewhere off to the side there'd be an equipment studio. And the equipment studio would have a Cadillac and a ladder barrel and a spine corrector and a reformer and a wonder chair, maybe a pedipole and, you know, toe corrector or whatever else. And 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 the reformer was just one part, you know, of that studio setup. There was nothing special about the reformer in that situation. The way that the well, there was nothing more there was nothing different about the reformer, say, from the way you would use a Cadillac. Um so, you know, the way you would run an equipment class would be you'd have, you know, one client or two clients or a maximum of four clients. And each client would generally do their own workout at their own, you know, working different exercises. And they'd do, you know, mm. a few exercises on the Cadillac and then you'd move them, they'd do a few exercises on the chair, and then they'd do a few exercises on the reformer, and then a few exercises on the spine corrector, whatever. So you just kind of make, mm. like rotate them around the room. Um and you, so in this era, like the reformer machine simply, it just wasn't something people associated with group Pilates, like any more than the Cadillac or the Wonder Chair was associated with group Pilates. Like it just, yeah. it was just something, it was, these were expensive and specialized pieces of equipment. They were suitable for teaching clients one-on-one within a full studio setting. Um, you know, like that's how you, that's how you use to these, that's how you use these pieces of equipment. Um, yeah. Um, and, you know, so if you wanted to do group Pilates, if you wanted to do, you know, a cheaper option, whatever, you'd do group mat work Pilates and you'd all work together through the series of Pilates exercises, you know, kind of similar to how we do it these days. Um, and in the 1990s, group mat work classes started to become popular in gyms, right? So, and, and in ch- you know, there was, Pilates classes were springing up in church halls and there was, um, you know, Mari Windsor on yeah. You're doing infomercials <laughs> one hour. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. She really yeah. she really kind of brought Pilates to the masses, didn't yeah, she? Yeah, yeah. She did a great job at that. Yeah. yeah. Um and so this was kind of like the first stirrings of, you know, mm. the huge popularity of Pilates that we see today. Uh, you know, sort of making it more accessible to a large number of people. Um and so, you know, job opportunities increased in the Pilates industry, especially for mat work instructors. Um, studio equipment classes, on the other hand, remain in the background, you know, serving serving that sort of tiny sub-niche of loyal long-term clients. Mm. And then in the mid-2000s, the, the, the next seismic change really sort of started to take root. And that's when the first group reformer studios started to appear um, and to sort of pull clients away from the mat Pilates classes. And in fact, you know, I'm I'm really you know, grateful that I got to be part of that wave. My studio, uh, Breathe Wellbeing, was one of the first group reformer studios in Australia. We, we opened in Melbourne um, CBD in March 2007. We had 18 reformers in one room, which was pretty radical for early 2007. Wow, it is. Yeah. And um, yeah, so for a couple of years, we were the only group reformer studio in Melbourne. Like, that sounds ridiculous. Like, we were literally the wow. only group reformer studio in Melbourne from 2007 to 2000 and late 2009, I think. And I remember how excited, I remember the first time I w- walked into Breathe Wellbeing before, you know, before I came to do to do teacher training there um, and just being like, wow, this is so beautiful and there's so many reformers. This is like, it was so exciting. Yeah. It had that, it had that feeling. Yeah, it was a beautiful studio. Um, and, you know, shout out, it now, now it's changed names. I sold out uh, 
to my partners a few years ago. They, they've changed the name to Downtown Yoga and Pilates. So shout out to Downtown Yoga and Pilates. Yeah, it's um, still super beautiful. Yeah, awesome, awesome studio. Mm. Um, so yeah, so yeah, uh, so you know, like at this point, you know, when people came in to see our studio, like we had to like show them what a reformer was and explain it. Like they had no clue what a reformer was. They were like what's that never heard of it you know it looks like a torture device sort of thing um, <laughs> looks like a rower that's yeah, what my dad rowing said machine. <laughs> Ro- oh rowing machines awesome no, shout, no, out to David. <laughs> shout out to shout out to david he gets lots of shout outs on yeah. our podcast doesn't he i hope he's listening um <laughs> all right so and and then like okay and so then like in early 2010 actually one of our pilates students because we were running pilates instructor training you know way back then uh, in early 2010, one of our um, Pilates instructor students and graduates was a guy called Aaron Smith. Um, and he'd just come back, Aaron had just come back to Australia from living in uh, LA and London for stints. And he w- his whole purpose and mission was to bring back a style of high intensity group reformer to Australia that he'd experienced overseas. And like, I distinctly remember him telling me about his plan to open group reformer studios in every major city. And I was like, ha, 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 you know, as if <laughs> As if that's ever going to happen. Good luck. <laughs> Next minute. <laughs> uh, and I remember going along when he opened his first studio in Malvern. You know, it was it was a single room above a shop um, with, I think, 10 reformers in it at that stage. And he was personally teaching like 20 plus classes a week. Yeah. Um, and, and the company he founded, of course, is called KX Pilates. And they now, you know, have over 50 uh, studios around Australia. I think they've opened some in Southeast Asia recently as well. Um, and, and they're all based on this model of a high intensity group reformer class. And uh, now they're up to like, I think most of them have around 14 reformers in, in a studio. Yeah. Um, no mat workspace, no, no, none of the other traditional Pilates equipment, just a single room with a reception desk and, you know, 14 or 12 reformers. Um, and I, I honestly believe Aaron and KX Pilates have been, you know, key forces behind the current growth and popularity of group performer in Australia. I think, you know, without him starting and building KX, I, I really think the industry would look very different. Um, you know, and now we see studios are opening and thriving all over the place, you know, um, like in Melbourne, you basically can't swing a cat without, you know, hitting a couple of Pilates yeah. reformer studios. Um yeah. And it's the same, you know, worldwide, like in the US, um, Club Pilates now have over 600, you know, Pilates uh, studios. Yeah, I think most of them are within gyms, but they have their own distinct, you know, space. And, you know, they're modelled on this group reformer, you know, format as well, although they do offer also the the, the full uh, studio equipment set up. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and now we've got like all over Australia, all of these other, you know, brands of group reformer, you know, whether they're like single little boutique studios or, you know, franchises or whatever. And they're all modeled on this same idea of a single room with, you know, 10 or 15 reformers and, and a sound system. And, um, you know, since 2010, you know, really since that first KX studio, the Pilates industry has just grown exponentially. If you look at sort of the numbers from Survivor's World or, you know, various, you know, um, different kind of, uh, uh, economic surveys and whatever, like the industry has been growing at 20% per year growth, like a decade in a row. Um, it's, it's like so in the mainstream now, like it's something like a $350 million a year industry, you know, as we speak. And it's in fact, 
in the top 10 physical activities of all Australian women. And if you put it, if you, if you talk about, you know, Australian women yeah. in their 40s and 50s, it's kind of like yes. in the top three. Um, yes. And so I'm remembering the, the study that you, you shared um, with me and I was going to say, yeah, the, the age bracket, um, 40, 50, wasn't it? Was the... Yeah. Yeah. was the main the main age bracket females yeah. 40 so, 50 so, so that that puts me in that bracket that's yeah. that's me well there, i mean there are a lot of women in their 20s and 30s and 50s and 60s and 70s doing pilates as well and there are you know tiny smattering of men of various ages doing it but you know the the main you know mm. group of um, pilates uh, customers are women in their 40s and 50s mm. um followed closely by women in their t- 30s and 20s um, so anyway, like we've come a, a very long way from that largely static, super sub-niche cottage industry of the 1980s, mm. 90s and early 2000s, like where the only way to get on a reform was to book individual Pilates lessons at great expense. And even yeah. then you'd only do like a few exercises on the reformer, in between work on the chair, the Cadillac, the barrels, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah. you know, so basically if, if, you know, the industry today would be essentially unrecognisable to someone from 1995, so... Right. It's just, yeah. it's completely, it's like it's 10 times the size that it was, little more than 10 times the size. Um, and so, you know, putting this into context, uh, you know, of now the industry body and the, develop, the development of the industry bodies in Australia, the, the PAA, the Pilates Alliance of Australasia, was founded in 2000. Uh, and the APMA, the Australian Pilates Method Association, was founded in, I can't remember exactly, but it was sometime in the early 1990s. Um, so, both of those are pre-group reformer, you know, pre-KX. Right. Uh, and gotcha. so when these, when the organisations began, they were, you know, probably, and I wasn't there, but it seems, you know, from sitting from this distance, that they were likely like truly representative of the industry. So in other words, like in 1995, say, or 2000, there probably were only literally a few hundred instructors in all of Australia, right? Mm. And everybody, every one of them probably taught in a studio that looked like the one I described to you, like, you know, a matte mm. space, a Cadillac, a chair, a barrel, a reformer, a blah, 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 you know, pedipool, whatever. And, mm. and so all of them, like, they were all sort of singing from the same song sheet in regards to, like, what is a Pilates studio and how does one teach Pilates sort of thing, you know. And, and of course, I'm sure there were tribal disagreements even back then, but, but you know, no one was – no one was talking uh, about group reformer or, you know, online classes or, you know, 20 franchises of a Pilates studio or something like it was all like small artisanal mom and pop suburban studios based around this full equipment plus a mat workspace. Mm. Um, and, and so like at that time, like the picture in industry, like maybe the, I don't know the exact numbers, but let's just say there were like 200, 250 Pilates teachers right across Australia in 1995. Yeah. Right. Well, it kind of made sense, at, you know, at that time for a bunch of those studio owners to get together and form an organisation to support each other and, you know, agree on standards of teaching. You know, like the in- entire industry consisted of just a few hundred instructors and they all basically practised the same way. Like, that's literally probably everyone knew everyone in the industry. So, you know, like, so, but now like almost a quarter of a century later, like 1995 to, two, to 2020, yeah. um, the industry is more than 10 times bigger how Pilates is taught, marketed, and consumed have all profoundly changed. Like we've gone from this, you know, pre-reformer days to post-reformer to group reformer, and now we're into like online training. You know, it's like, but the, here's the thing: 
the committee and the council of both industry bodies are still made up predominantly of people who practice Pilates in the pre-2005 pre-group reformer way. Like, so these people are now a minority in the industry. And I would argue that they see themselves as an elite, like, um, you know, the, the PAA, uh, uh, sort of charter on their website, uh, says something like, uh, let me find it here, quote, um, the Pilates Alliance of Australasia is an independent not-for-profit organisation, blah, 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 as a regulatory body for control of coding instruction, member support and integrity within all legitimate approaches to the Pilates method. Now, oh, I think dear, oh me. Words, Sorry. words like oh, legitimate. I've got some, I've got some flashing lights and red flags yeah. going up here. <laughs> right, like words like legitimate are a giveaway of an elitist attitude. Like who decides? Who decides? Who, who gets to decide who's legitimate? Well, of course, the committee of the PAA gets to decide that. Oh, my goodness. I'm uh, sorry, but that is Pilates snobbery at its worst there. That, yeah. that, that's the, and that's their charter? Uh, well, actually, it's their kind of like what we're for statement. Mission statement? Their, yeah, it's their kind of mission statement on their website. Thanks. Um, so, you know, and like, and so looking closely at the PAA committee, now I just want to also preface these next remarks by saying, by just really being super clear that none of these comments that I'm making are directed at any individual member of the APMA or the PAA. Like they're good people, they have good intentions, they volunteer their time. You know, the vast majority of them don't get paid a cent for what they do. They're doing it because they want to advance the industry. So, you know, respect to those people. This is rather about the organisations themselves and organisations that, you know, because of the particular incentives and constraints operating on them, you know, almost inevitably end up making themselves irrelevant to the vast majority of working Pilates instructors. And, and that's not a reflection of the individual humans that, you know, populate those organisations. It's, it's, I think, more of a reflection of just the macro trends in the industry and the nature of you know, volunteer organisations themselves. So there are problems with each organisation. Some of the problems are common to both. Some are unique to one or the other, but I don't think any of them reflect, you know, ill intention uh, on the part of any, you know, individual member or committee member or board member or whatever. So anyway, um, disclaimers uh, aside, um, like... I think, you know, if we look closely at the at the committee of the PAA, like, and you can just look it up on their website, um, it's not made up of a representative sample of industry employers, like, or instructors or educators. Like, there are, if it was, it would be made up of, like, you know, nine parts uh, group reformer studio owners <laughs> and mm. one part everything else. Um, mm. But rather it's it's composed primarily of people who own full equipment Pilates studios, you know, people who established themselves as instructors before 2010 um, and who still teach in the old pre-group reformer style as, as well as Pilates educators who train instructors to work in that kind of old style studio environment. Now, you know, when I say old style, I don't mean uh, – all I mean is the format of the business. You know, it's a room with a Cadillac and a chair and a barrel mm. and a reformer. You know, it's not a group reformer studio. Mm. Um, and and so the committees of both industry bodies, like including the APMA, are almost entirely composed of people, you know, and not entirely, but almost entirely composed of people in their 40s, 50s and 60s. And, and that's as you would expect, right? So who volunteers their time 
to be on the committee of an industry body? Well, people who are well established in their careers, you know, people who, mm. uh, who are established in their careers, have established businesses and now want to kind of give back to the industry. So you don't get, you don't get, you know, 25 year old new grads on the boards of these, you know, organizations. So, um, you know, and, and so who's in their 40s, 50s and 60s now and well-established? Well, people who established their Pilates studios in 2000, mm. 2005, you know. Um, and so they still teach in that old format, right? And so if you've, if you've owned a Pilates studio in Australia since before 2010, that's like before Group Reformer, which only started to explode in 2010, obviously, with KX. And if your business is built on that old pre-group reformer model, like, you know, privates and semi-privates and, quote, group classes of up to four people, um, you know, circulating through the studio equipment, like you're an artisan. You're personally crafting individualized programs and sessions for every client. And and I'm not dissing that. I think that's a fantastic thing. But naturally, like if that's you, right, if that's the way you've grown up for the last 25 years in the industry and that's your business, that's how you make your living, well, naturally – your definition of integrity and quality <laughs> looks a lot like artisan Pilates taught in a small mm. studio in the pre-group reformer style, right? So when when you're on the PAA or the APMA, whatever committee, and you know they're putting together the rule book of like, okay, what's the definition of integrity? Well, you know it's going to look a lot like that, isn't it? Um, yeah. So and 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 like and moreover, right? If if you're a little mom and pop, you know, Pilates studio in some you know suburb of a capital city, like you're very likely to view the new explosion of group reformer and now of online classes as this kind of radical and threatening, you know, mm. development. Um, you know, it's too fast. It's too big. It's marketed too aggressively. You know, it's not Hashtag even Pilates. not yeah. real Pilates. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, like – we see, we, I was just going to laugh. It's such a – the hashtag real Pilates is such a, uh, uh, a trigger for, for Belle. She's um, – Shout out to Bell. He's one of our amazing, amazing, amazing uh, trainers. Um, yeah, it makes her so mad due to the fact that, you know, what even is real Pilates right. and also, hello. Who gets to decide? Who, who gets to decide who, what it is? Like, it's it's infuriating. Like, stop. Stop now. <laughs> anyway, continue. <laughs> yeah, and, and not to be confused with an awesome uh, group of studios in Dubai called Real Pilates, but that, that don't oh, mean like, okay. oh, we're probably. the A-Lease yeah. or anything. That's we're like, not we're, – <laughs> No, we're just talking about this, the use of a particular hashtag. Bell and I have spoken about it quite a few times publicly that we're not fans. Yeah. And that's just simply because uh, elite and, you know, it's – and it's also – and I keep – I always loop it back to Cage Lion, I know, but it's like Joseph Pilates was the Cage Lion. Like he caged his work in, right? And then the, the whole time, you know, post his passing was to try and actually get his work to the masses, which was – you know what he talked about. He's like the whole, you know, and but but he could kind of never let go of the control of it. That's what it seemed, you know, the impression I got. And it's like I feel like things like this. We're talking about the integrity of Pilates and the hashtag real Pilates. Well, to me, and I, to me, there's that real element again of boxing it in, huh. making it? it smaller, and 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 how is that helping the industry? It, it's it's simply not. How is that getting more human beings? doing Pilates, right? How is that making more jobs for Pilates instructors? That's that's my – anyway, I'll step off my soapbox. Yeah, well, it's interesting that you, you say <laughs> that because, about it. 
because like, yeah, I, I can totally see that parallel with, you know, with the story of Caged Lion and, mm. you know, of, uh, it's interesting that, you know, that's my view of, of how the PAA operates. You know, I've got, I've got a more intimate knowledge of the PAA than I do of the APMA because I sat on the committee for a bit. Um, I've been a member of both organisations, you know, um, for a few years in both cases, but uh, I've actually sort of been inside the the sort of the executive level or whatever you want to call it of the PAA. So I know a little bit more about them. Um, but and so you know, from where I sit, the PAA, you know, and in fact, part of their mission is to you know, bring Pilates more into the mainstream, to have it more, you know, recognised by mainstream, you know, medicine and fitness and health insurance and government and audiences and clients, whatever. Um, and But paradoxically, like they're striving to achieve that by ever more strict requirements for adherence to their definition of legitimate, right? right? And so, so rather than going like, okay, what do what do other mainstream professions do? Let's do more of that. Or rather than going mm. like, well, it's basically just a fundamentally unscientific worldview, right? So, I mean, mm. and, and it's out of sync with the basic axioms of business, right? And the free market. So, like, great companies, just like good scientists, right? They experiment to find out what the market wants. In the case of great companies, like in the case of great scientists, they experiment to find out, you know, how reality actually is. Um, and then you you base your base your actions around what you find, right? So if you're a great company like Apple or you know Microsoft or whatever, like you find out what the market wants and then you give them that, right? Right. Whereas if you're you know not a great company, what you do is you start with a product, right? And then you go, oh, how can we market this to people? You know, regardless of whether they need it or not. You know, so I, I think. Um, It, it, you know, it's it's a pity. It actually works against the organisations mm. because, you know, this attitude of like, we've got to protect the integrity um, mm. because it essentially makes them irrelevant, right? No one cares what they think. And, and the only time, you know, people actually end up asking us about it is when they've been, you know, the mean, the mean by girls someone, have yeah, yeah. Ganged, up, ganged, up, ganged up on them in some Pilates forum somewhere. Mm. Um, and, but, you know, like the average member of the public, and I would say the average Pilates teacher in Australia has never heard of these industry bodies and couldn't care two figs about them, right? And I think the reason for that is this whole elitist attitude. Mm. Well, I've never, I and, you know, and uh, so I guess, you know, when students ask me about it, uh, you know, and do they have to be a member of one of those um, bodies in order to gain employment? Um, I have been, I would think, a very successful, you know, Pilates instructor for the last eight years as, you know, like that's what I've done as my bread and butter and I have not, not once, seriously, not once when going for a job been asked to show that I'm a member of either of those bodies. I have once been asked to show that I was a member of Fitness Australia, which I wasn't, and that was because it was a job at a gym. So some gyms, you know, need all their instructors, including Pilates instructors, to be a member of that, but that's that's not a Pilates industry body. That's Fitness Australia. Um, but in regards to a Pilates industry body, it has never once factored into me gaining employment. Yeah, and I, I can imagine, you know, I, I know for a fact, actually, that there are some studios that will ask you, you know, are you a member of the industry body? And guess what? Those studios are small, suburban, equipment and mat work based Pilates studios that operate on that kind of pre-2010 
model um, and and who are affiliated with an industry body. Now, there are plenty of studios that operate on that model that aren't affiliated with, with industry bodies, right. but they, they're a small number who are. And th- um, within that, there are an even smaller number who actually insist that all of their instructors are members of industry bodies. And I would say that, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably don't want to work at one of those studios because many of the attitudes that you are going to encounter there are going to be antithetical to science and evidence-based practice. Um, and that's that's another issue that I have uh, with, mm. with industry bodies is they're, they're fundamentally kind of retrograde and unscientific. Like the PAA, you know, promotes Pilates instructors, you know, shouldn't work with, quote, high-risk clients who have a disc bulge. For, you know, it's like disc bulge, not high-risk. Hello, get with the evidence post-2003, you know. Um, um, and, you know, and, and the APMA, I, they're, they're a little bit, um, I feel they're, they're, the APMA, in my experience, is a little bit less overtly elitist. Like, they don't, you know, put themselves out there as like, oh, we're policing the Pilates industry, we're le- regulating who's legitimate, and that's, they don't say any of that. Um, but I think they're just as out of touch. Um, and I think it's it's not, it's not a criticism, again, of any of the individual people. It's just like all organisations like this are inherently conservative because of who gets on the committee, right? It's like senior industry people with decades mm. of experience. Like, mm. <laughs> so yeah. they're, they're not mm-hmm. the new, you know, cool kids, right? Um um, and I'm saying that with love as somebody who was on the committee, you know, so I'm putting myself in the same I feel like you're a, you're, a, you're a cool kid though, <laughs> right? Come um, on. Um, so anyway. Um, Is so, that maybe why you weren't there <laughs> So now I've lambasted the PAA a bit. Let me, let me, let me turn my attention to the APMA. Um, so like the APMA you know, is a not-for-profit organisation. So on the surface, you know, and basically, as I understand it, none of the councils get paid, right? So it, you know, in that sense, it's truly a not-for-profit organisation. But the APMA offers a Pilates certification. It's a Diploma of Pilates Movement Therapy. I've actually done it. I hold that qualification. And the, the certification is offered not by the APMA itself, but it's offered by the APMA members. So the, basically the committee members or the council members or whatever they're called, you know, a lot of them, you know, deliver this course. So you can go and do the APMA course with this person or with that person or with the other person. They're all obviously APMA senior members and whatever. But this yeah. course, you know, the, the registered training organisation is the Australian Pilates Method Association. So it's not like, you know, suburban studio XYZ Pilates course. It's the APMA Pilates course. Yeah. Um, and in a Pilates industry body that is supposedly, you know, the gatekeeper of quality instruction – Right. And and if you want to be a member of that Pilates industry body, well, you have to show that you've received a quote quality, you know, education. And mm. Mm, what is what's their definition of a quality education, would you guess? Oh. It's doing their freaking course. Right? Yeah. Oh so now That's that's not biased at all. No. So <laughs> I, so when there's an industry body, right, that is, you know, supposedly you know, you know, policing standards of quality in in an industry, right? And they are in direct commercial competition with the people who are they who they are supposedly policing, right? That is a fucking massive conflict of interest. Conflict of interest, yeah. Like mm-hmm. you just can't get around it. It's like it's mm-hmm. it's just mm-hmm. insum- it's just a huge problem. 
it's like when you it's like when you read the you know the the research and it's like well who you know and it's like well the drug company that's you know got all the money in it they're the right. ones that are, you know well the tobacco industry the does a funds a study showing that smoking doesn't cause lung cancer smoking's yeah. great for you woo <laughs> yeah so you know and again this is this is not to impugn any of the course deliverers of the APMA they're all stand up people with the best of intentions yes yes yes, yes but if if like if you're an educator right and you're you deliver the APMA course and you're on the APMA council right and you're involved in defining the requirements for a course to be approved by the organization well there are strong incentives acting on you to define the criteria for inclusion in such a way that they match the curriculum of your course right and in such a way that they exclude the courses of your competitors you know instructors must you know live in this particular suburb or you know, must wear green underwear or something like, you know, you can just yeah. write the rules, right? And for example, and this is a real example, if you teach mat work and reformer as separate courses, so if you want to become an instructor, you have to do a mat work course. And if you want to learn reformer, you do an extra course to do reformer, right? And if you have a competitor who teaches a course that combines both mat and reformer, right, in the same course, well, you can vote that courses which combine mat work and reformer in the same course can't be approved by the organization. True story. Right. So, wow. So, and, and again, oh, yeah. this is not because people are evil or mean or anything. It's just like people respond, you know, humans, including myself, everybody responds to these constraints and incentives that are placed upon them, right? And when you put people, you know, with vested interests on a committee and, and you know, tell them to make rules about how everyone else should behave, well, it turns out that, you know, they make rules that, you know, benefit people who are like them. You know, and that's like look anywhere, anywhere in the world at any point in history, and elite minorities. You know, that's what they do. Mm. So, um, yeah. Anyway, so mm. so so what? Okay, so if if I was going to be a, a member of an industry body, what would I get for that? I mean, because that's an interesting question, isn't it? It's like, well, why would I be one? Like, what no. would be the benefits to being in the club, so to speak. Well, um, you know, there were there there was a significant benefit up until April twenty nineteen, um, when in Australia there were you could get a rebate and your private health insurance for some Pilates sessions um, if your Pilates teacher was a you know certain level of member with the APMA or the PAA. Uh, they got to provide a number and they could you know you could claim some form of rebate if you. Private health insurance included that. Um, but the government's put a stop to that since the 1st of April 2019. So now no one in Australia can claim private health rebates for Pilates sessions, including sessions taught by physiotherapists. So there's not there's not such a thing as private health rebates for Pilates in Australia anymore. Um, and really that was the key value proposition of the membership of these organisations, right? Okay. So if you're a member at level you know, XYZ, you get private health insurance provider numbers uh, and you get, you know, your clients can claim a rebate if they've got, you know, the right level of cover. Whereas now that doesn't exist since April 2019. So really, you know, the value equation is basically, well, the cost benefit analysis is all cost and no benefit basically, right? So the, the PAA membership, for example, costs $365 a year. Um, the APMA is about half that, 170 something a year. Um, and then you have to do uh, ongoing education. So for both organisations, you need to do sort of like uh, a certain number of hours per 
two or three years. So for the PAA, it's like 20 points per two years, so 20 hours of education per mm-hmm. two years. And for the APMA, I think it's like 36 points over three years or something like that. Um, and, of course, you have to do their approved education, you know, bracket provided by their approved providers, which are people mm-hmm. who've paid their money to have the course approved by that, you know, committee. And it doesn't include both Matt and former. Mm-hmm. Um, not that I'm sorry about that. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> so the, the, the CEC costs, you know, if you just look on the PAA website, for example, and just look at the courses that they're promoting there, you know, the CECs cost somewhere between $50 and $100 per point. Um, you know, so you do a course that's $100, you get one or two points sort of thing, and you've got to get 20 points in two years. So that's like $500 to $1,000 per year in CECs, right? And for the PA, the APMA, it's about the same. So, you know, for the PAA membership, you're looking at like 365 in actual membership fees plus 500 to 1000 a year in, you know, education credits. And the, the oh, super freaking annoying thing about that is if you're also a member of another organisation, like if you're a personal trainer or a massage therapist or an exercise physiologist or whatever, you have to do these stupid freaking PAA or APMA, you know, CEC courses that are like 101 ways to use a fucking fitness circle, you know. We love, we love, we're a big fan of that course, aren't we, yeah. <laughs> I love oh. it. We have referenced that. So, oh. do you think we need? I, I feel like you know. <laughs> can we do this course? What is this course? No. Yeah, maybe we should create it. Um, I think we might just, have to create. Um, we're going to create how you guys can create your own one hundred and one yeah, things to uh, do well, with I'm a fitness circle. We just use that as a placeholder, right? For basically <laughs> courses that teach you useless crap about how to do 101 useless things that don't add much value to your clients about something you already know how to do, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm, Not mm-hmm. mind-expanding, horizon-altering, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. education that really, you know, lifts your thinking to a new level. <laughs> Educator, educate yeah. thyself, which is one of our earlier, earlier podcast episodes that I highly recommend everyone listens to and you get mine and Raf's viewpoints on on education, particularly continued education, mm. um, quite passionately. <laughs> so, you know, so for either organisation, you're looking at somewhere between like $800 and $1,400 a year, you know, depending on which CEC courses you choose. Yeah, that's, that's a lot of money. It's I not want, nothing, like, is it? It's like it's a fair, it's a fair, no, fair whack it's of not, money. Yeah. It's not nothing. And I'm thinking, well, like, what else could I spend that on? Well, A, I could spend it on continued education in in something, you know, to expand my my my, you know, Expand my offering. Well, for that, uh, for that amount of money, you could, of go and, you could go and do um, a course with Peter O'Sullivan, or you could go and like do this, a course with, is, you know, Charton Vibifersum, or Adam Meekins, oh, or Greg Lehman, or Ben oh, Cormack, or Evan, you could go to the San Diego Pain Summit. You know, like. Evan, and the San Diego, San Diego, shout out to the San Diego Pain Summit. Um, you can actually do that online now. So be, yeah, thanks to, awesome. like, like, COVID's really COVID has opened up some incredible opportunities. And the fact that you can do the San Diego San Diego Pain Summit, you know. Look it up, people. Online if now. you're interested in learning stuff about how pain works and how to work with people in pain, like freaking awesome. You know, you just get like incredible, it's the cream of the crops. You know, science presentations from people from all over the world in different specialties. And it's just just mm-hmm. it's nirvana. It's like an orgiastic four days or three days or something of just Pain science nerddom. It's really it's awesome. it's, it's, thr- it's thrilling. Raf, you were there. Did you go in 
In real life? Yeah, I went IRL. Yeah. yeah. You went IRL. Yeah, there was. I did Greg. That's where I did Greg Layman's course. Um, right. Yeah, okay. Ben Cormack was there that year as well. Um, that's right. Yeah, oh wait, Jam. is that when I've got the photo of you and Ben doing the teaser? Yeah. Was that? Uh, <laughs> yeah, that was that same. That was the same year actually. I did his course in a different city. I think I can't remember. Maybe it was like Denver or. Phoenix or somewhere like that, right. you, know, so, um, you know, just a, a few weeks before or after or something. Um, uh, yeah. And I did, I did Ben's here in Australia and Greg's in Oz as well. He was in Melbourne. So you, you guys, you don't need to travel to the other side of the world now. These, these, all of these courses right. have been opened up to online. You just got to reach out um, and uh, yeah. Get get learning anyway. Sorry, we've gone a little. We've gone a little. We've got we've got all excited about the education yeah. that we really we find really like, very yeah. very thrilling. Um, and okay, so, right, so so let's let's recap. So there's no it's 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 well, a decent cost, but yeah. for that, all right. So you do get some things, right? But uh, you know, in my view, they're just completely token, right? So you get the, a paper copy of the Journal of Bodywork and Movement Therapies, which you know, in my view, is a second tier journal, um, focusing on alternative treatment modalities, which is like to say. You know those unproven by science. Um, you get, you but know, it worked for me, Raph. <laughs> you get various discounts. But it worked in my studio, um, Raph, and all my patients really liked it. <laughs> on like, you get discounts on Pilates-related products. So, for example, you might get like ten percent on your Pilates reformer straps, or thirty-day free trial of Pilates anytime, or a twenty percent discount on Pilates socks or soy candles. You can, or, do you know what, guys? You, know. you can get those things anyway. Just FYI. <laughs> um, and and. Like we actually, for a couple of years, we had an arrangement when we were affiliated with PAA, we had an arrangement where we batch, we uh, required all of our students to join the PAA as student members. In fact, we paid for them. So we paid for each student to join the PAA as a student member. Um, and what we found after a couple of years was that over 90% of our, in, our students, once they graduated, did not renew their membership. Even though being a student okay. member, it was like simplicity itself, just basically put your credit card details in, pay 40 bucks or whatever, 100 bucks, whatever it was, and upgrade to you know full membership. It's like 90-something 90, 90 percent of them didn't do that. It's like, well, that overwhelmingly says that people are voting with their wallets, that they mm. don't see the value, even when they get it as a massive discount. So- um, you know, and, and we see that also in just, you know, the broader industry. Like, so according to, I think it's 2018 or 2019 Ibis World Survey, um, there are something like, uh, you know, a bit fewer than 9,000 Pilates instructors in Australia. Um, and, you know, as of last count, when I was a member of the PAA, which was a couple of years back, um, they had something like 600 members. Um, and so it's, they're talking about like fewer than 10% you know, of instructors in Australia are, are a member. So it's like, well, what does that say about how people mm. in the industry view the value equation? It's like, well. Mm. And and we're not saying, like, if you want to be a member, be a member, right? Uh, but I, go I in with say, eyes wide open. I would say if you want to be a member, reassess. Um, okay. Yeah. I, I would say – you know, for, for you know, for all, all the reasons that I've mentioned above, um, you know, mm -hmm. they're elitist, they're out of touch with the market, okay. they're very fear-based, they're unscientific. You know, there's a great antipathy to basically, you know, any sort of modern, effectively marketed Pilates business. Like, there's a lot of fear in in the PAA, or at least there was when I was on the committee around KX Pilates. Um, not just around, you know, oh, it's too dangerous, it's too intense, it's not real Pilates. There's all of that, too but fast. Was, yeah, all of that. But there was also it's like their marketing's unethical. They market too aggressively. It's not 
you know. Really? Yeah. Just like fear on every level about it. You know, they're very, very fear-based. Um, well, they were, you know, back in my day. Um, and, you know, moreover, I think that they're, they're like – the PAA, I think, particularly, is like embarrassingly like uneducated. Like the PAA statement, you know, state on their website that – they they are to you know their 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 charter is to regulate the Pilates industry, right? I mean, uh, they literally use those words, regulate the Pilates industry. Well, that just shows they profoundly don't even know what the fucking word regulate means, right? Because if, if I mean, I looked at I looked it up. I thought, no, I can't. I can't I, maybe I'm wrong about this, but no, like you looked it up. I looked it up, and if you go to this, like the Australian the the office, you know. The Department of the Prime Minister and Cabinet. So this is a .gov.au website, right? Mm. Um, and it says, "quote Regulation is essential for the proper functioning of society and the economy. Regulation includes any laws or other government-endorsed rules where there is an expectation of compliance. In Australia, regulation is made at the federal level as well as by the states and territories in the form of legislation." and subordinate legislation and at local government regu- level as regulations and bylaws, end quote, right? So it's regulation is done by the fucking government people. It's, it's laws, right? It's not a group of private citizens forming a private club, right, which is all that these industry bodies are. They're just literally private clubs formed by private individuals and then, you know, saying that they regulate. No, governments regulate, you know. <laughs> Yeah, and so if you're an industry body and you're saying you regulate, you don't even know what the fucking word means. I'm sorry, that's Mm. embarrassing. And and yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, Uh, yeah. Ah dear. So and and then there's the then there's the culture, right? Mm. Of and which is I think it's not. I, I don't know. You know, this is not something that I think was necessarily led from the people that I knew when I was on the PAA committee. Um, but I certainly see it in people who are affiliated with the organisation, mm. like studio owners, like these fucking mean mm. girls. Pick, pick on people mm. who are in the industry who do their teaser wrong, according to you, or who, you know, haven't been educated at the right place, according to you. And, and well, literally that's like where I tear see them apart, it. you know, verbally yeah. on, on fucking social media. Oh, sorry, that's, yeah. that's not cool. It's really uncool and rough where I've seen it most vehement and appallingly is uh, attacking new grads, like really rattling them, you know, like I've seen an email that was, you know, a a new grad accidentally sent out a, you know, basically got, got an email address wrong, right, and sent it to a studio that didn't mean to, et cetera, et cetera. Don't want to bring any, you know, I don't want to. Go, go zoom into too much detail, but cut a long story short, uh, this person um, sent back a couple of pages of just barraging them for their, you know, not being a member and doing their education with someone who, you know, isn't on the, you know, <laughs> the, the, the PAA's list and that, you know, not legitimate. Basically, not legitimate. And basically saying to this grad, I'm sorry, you wasted all your money on your education. You're going to have to do it again and you need to do it with 
an industry affiliated body yeah. and you know like if that something like that came through to me I'd be like oh my god like I'd laugh it off do you know what I mean but but for a new person to the industry and we already know that these these new grads are already ex- so much more going on you know when you first start teaching you've got the you've got the imposter syndrome you've got the what is ever is anyone gonna like me am I good enough am I am I am I am I am I right you know, it's it's and, and like why would you come in at someone like that and make them feel bad? To me that's It's just fear. Yeah, so okay, fear. It's fear and, manifesting as as being an asshole. And and I it's a it's what I see as well on the uh, sadly on on the um the forums. Yeah. You know, I've seen it on the Facebook forums, the Pilates industry for you know, Pilates forums. Um, and to the point I've just taken, as we've talked about this before, I've taken myself out of a lot of the forums because I can't stand the BS. I used to, you know, get in Mm. there and Mm. say something. Now I prefer to say something on a bigger scale. We've got, you know, it's fantastic. Mm. We've got, we've got got this opportunity with the podcast to share our, our view to a large scale, um, about this. And I think, yeah, it's, it, the elitism and we see this elitism, breeds exclusion yeah it yeah. breeds exclusion and and guys seriously if you've not read cage line yet by john howard Steele, you need to mm. like you just need to i actually think it's just a it's a bottom line anyone who's we in the Pilates a, we industry should get a paid sponsorship yeah <laughs> uh i do you know what i'm so happy to promote this but John, he's like, I, from what I could feel like he has done for the industry. And guess what, guys? John walked down the street arm in arm with Joe Pilates. Okay. Like he knew Joe Pilates intimately. Yeah. His dreams, his vision, his et cetera, et cetera. John is out there in the world, not only in his book, but also in the interviews that he's doing on the book circuit saying, guys, stop the divide. Drop it. Drop the classical versus contemporary. Drop it. Like, like what we want to do, what Joseph ultimately he want like for this industry to survive, for this industry to thrive, not just survive, to thrive, it needs to keep evolving, you know? Like he was all for the the creativity and the, you know, like it's if if that all if if that court case had been lost to Gallagher and um, Romana. Gallagher and Romana. Gosh, how could I forget her name? <laughs> oh, my brain, sorry. To Gallagher and Romana, guess what would have happened? Oh, caged in. I don't mm. think you and I, you and I'd be sitting. I think we're the sort of people. This, this wouldn't be called Pilates this, elephants. This wouldn't be called would be Pilates. Called, uh, <laughs> form of exercise uh, based on <laughs> a system of movements yeah. created by someone. Uh, yeah. elephants. It wouldn't be as catchy, would it? It wouldn't be as catchy, but knowing you and I, we we still would have been, you know, doing, like, we would have been here having this chat. I feel like this was part of our, where we were going to sure. get to. <laughs> but um, I think, you know, from an industry perspective, when we're talking about regulating and, you know, all of that, like, stop. Stop, 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 stop. Well, maybe it would have been called Pilates TM elephants, and we would have had to pay a royalty to Sean Gallagher every time Someone oh well, logo. that would that would not surprise me at all, and we would have had logos 
like uh, like all over us so that we couldn't print ourselves out. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So anyway, all right. So basically, uh, you know, I think there are there are there are a number of significant, you know, in my view, just like deal breaking problems and i think they're unfixable problems with these organizations okay. because of the very structure of the organizations because of their small organizations where people are unpaid like if you work at you know for the essa exercise and sports science australia the, the professional yes. body for for exercise physiologists and exercise scientists right or if you work at the apa the australian physiotherapy association right or if you work at ace the american council on exercise right well these are much larger professions where you know yep. there are like 20,000 physiotherapists in australia right whereas there's you know, mm. i just said before there are like eight thousand you know pilates instructors in australia but 90 percent of them aren't members of the industry body right so if you do the math and think all right well there are like 600 members of the industry body at last count you know last time i was on the on the mm. committee and you know each one of those is paying 365 bucks a year we'll do the math like well how much money does that industry body have mm. well they can't afford to pay any of their committee members so the committee members do it all for nothing which out of the goodness of their heart but when you do that you you have to you know by the very nature of it you have to have people who have day jobs right and so these people with day jobs their day job is delivering pilates so they're by the nature of the organization these people are partisan whereas if you're if you're on the board of essa or the apa or ace or whatever it's like you're a full-time paid executive right mm -hmm. essa has a chief executive officer they have a president they have a marketing manager they have a like, public relations manager they have all of these different people who are paid professionals who aren't practicing exercise physiologists although they might be qualified as such right they're not out there running their little business or whatever so they don't have a partisan interest in having the industry go one way or the other way right they just want what's best for the profession and they're able to do that because they have the luxury of being paid full-time wages by the industry body whereas in pilates we just simply don't have that luxury so i think it's no reflection on the people themselves but it's just inherent in the in the structure and the size of the industry that we have, that, that, that these industry bodies essentially are, you know, basically they're little private clubs that, um, you know, don't regulate, uh, but they can make rules for their members like any private club. Um, and so, you know, like if, if you, if you, if you wanted to be a member, you know, like I said, I would, you know, strongly urge you to reconsider. And I think, you know, really that, you know, of all the arguments that I've made, probably the, the most, you know, compelling argument in my mind is is the last one about the culture, you know, the mean girl culture that is, I think it's not an inherent part of the organisation, but I think it surrounds the organisation um, mm. in those affiliate I, studios I, and I, stuff. I, I honestly, Ralph, I, it really does. And my my observations, it, it I, I'm sorry, but it does surround some of the member, the the people that sit on the board too. That's been my experience of interactions with with them, not all of them, but mm -hmm. absolutely with more than I would, you know, yeah. like. It's like, you know, for something that's meant to be, you know, like surely, surely if they're talking about, what were they talking about? Legitimacy, da, da, da. Well, what's their job? Is their job to elevate the industry? Elevate, lift people up, inspire that's, like you no, know, that's like what, like that's not uh, what like, they say their job is. Their job is to preserve and maintain legitimate equality. See and and see how that like can you see the? <laughs> I'm like, it's, it's fundamentally a, a backward looking, you know, protective, fear based kind of ethos. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I think that you know, like you're basically the average of the five people you hang around with the most, right? Mm -hmm. So you know, don't hang out with fucking mean girls. 
you know, don't, don't hang out with mean girls. When, you it's know, yeah, it's it's not it's not okay. It's just not okay. Uh, just there's too much. There's enough shit going on in the world, guys. And you know, like, also just just stop and sit with it and reflect. Like, I feel like sometimes these people as well have potentially, like as you said, been in the industry for so long, been doing the thing for so long. It's like they've lost touch with how it felt when you first went out there. Like how did it feel when you were a baby instructor and you were finding your feet and you're finding your voice and you're finding your place and the vulnerability in that as well? How do we nurture those those instructors, you know, as opposed to tear them down and 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 put fear in them that what they've done is not enough and therefore they're not going to be good enough mm. to me that's um that's pretty abhorrent mm. i think mm. um i i find it hard to find something nice about that i think before when i was like hey you know we're not saying don't be a member i was just i was like trying to play but i think we yeah look yeah. so i'm gonna i'm yeah i'm just gonna gonna put my hand up and say that um yeah, and yeah, yeah. Raph, there was one thing that I feel like we didn't, I don't know if we did address. When just looping back to what you said a couple of minutes ago about they can make their own rules and they do. Like if you're going to be a member, then you need to, to maintain your membership. You need to bar, abide by the club's rules, right? That's, that's yeah. how these things work. Is there not, I can't remember if it's the PAA or APMA um, that defines a Pilates instructor as someone you can't teach over a certain amount of of people. Can you, can you remember? Yeah, so I'll, I'm just going to read a, um, just a moment from the PAA website. That blew this my is, mind a little. This is pilates.org.au slash about. Um, and uh, the Pilates Alliance of Australasia is an independent and not-for-profit organisation established by the Pilates industry as a regulatory body for control of quality instruction, member support and integrity within all legitimate approaches to the Pilates method. The PAA believes in an open approach to regulation and in strives to ensure the protection of the general public, industry employees and studios whilst continuing to foster the original intentions of the Pilates method. All right, so that's what they say end quote. Um, Gosh, we could spend a whole other episode on breaking like, apart all those yeah. different claims in so that apart statement. from elitism and not knowing what the fucking meaning of regulatory <laughs> is um, and that industry and, bodies um, don't and, do But it. also, what do we need to do? We need to look after the general population yeah. as well. Yeah. Okay. I'm curious. Yep. Let's, yep. Okay. Um, and then the, the PAA puts out various documents, um, you know, statements and position statements and whatever, and one of them is a uh, scope of practice. Um, and this is pilates.org.au forward slash membership forward slash ethics. Um, and uh, one of their items in the code of practice is reformer group instructors will teach a maximum of 12 clients um, and mat work instructors a maximum of 12 clients as well, unless you've got more wow, than 3,000 okay. hours of experience. Let's stop, let's stop and zoom in on that for a moment. So did everyone hear that? If you are going to be a member <laughs> of that club, you need to abide by those rules. So, so that means you can't if, work at KX. It, it, well, I, I'm sorry. It probably means you can't. It's not can't like when this, this is not just industry. KX. I'm sorry, <laughs> but I, you know, I've been living in Sydney for the last five years, and I don't. I can't like all can't, the studios. Can't work at Virgin Active. Pretty much. Can't well, but, work at Body yeah, Mind Life. 20, 20 up to twenty five, but predominantly because that like 
Like that is the profitable that's market, the industry. guys. Hello. That's the industry. That's and also that allows for more people to do Pilates. It allows for more people to teach it and it allows for studios to make a profit. So come on, like what? And a mat class of only twelve? Once well the All good right. news is, Chloe, once you've got three thousand hours of experience, you can teach up to twenty. Oh my lord! In a mat class, not in. Reform. So three thousand hours, guys, depending on what you're teaching, but that could be anywhere Several from kind of like, yeah, you're pushing five years. You could potentially, well, you know what I mean. Like it's yeah. maybe you know, depending on how many you te- how many hours you're teaching a week. Whew. Yeah. So um, I think you know, like basically, um, yeah. If so, the PAA can't make rules for you know they can't regulate because they're not government and there's no law. That's just a private club started by a group of private individuals who have self, you know, proclaimed themselves as an industry body. Um, And as a private club, they are perfectly within their rights to have rules for members of that club. Like if you want to be a member of this club, here are the rules, right? And you can't teach more than 12 people on a reformer. You can't teach high-risk clients with a disc bulge, Mm. et cetera, et cetera. Um, And, you know, you have to come from a legitimate and in – with, you know, approach to Pilates with the Contracy lineage directly back to Joseph and all of these things. Um, but they have absolutely nil power to enforce any of those rules at all on people who are not members. So you can be a Pilates instructor your whole life, not abide by any of their rules, and you're 100% perfectly colouring within the lines, you're legal, you're legitimate, you're able to be insured your inside your scope of practice, et cetera. Correct. It, like this is just a private club. They can make rules for their members only. They're not a regulatory body. Correct. A regulatory Correct. body. And I'm, glad, people I'm is, glad you brought that. Yeah. A regulatory yeah. body has a .gov.au website. Like a regulatory body, the people are who work for that body are paid by the government. Right, regulatory like the police is a regulatory body, you know, the attorney general's department, the Department of, of Foreign Affairs and Trade, like these are regulatory bodies, fucking parties, industry bodies, not regulatory bodies. Sorry. Anyway, totally agree. <laughs> <laughs> so I hope we've cleared that up for you. Yeah. Um, and if you had any any doubt in your mind, um. No, whether you needed to be a member of one of those, uh, the, the very clear and simple answer yeah, is no. Money. You save not. your money. Go do Greg. Save Lane's your money. Course. Yeah, San Diego Pain Summit. Yeah. Ben Cormack. Any of them? They're all Adam Meeks. Or, or get all a legends. subscription to Physio uh, Network. You know, they'll send you a yes. journal every month for freaking a hundred bucks a year US or something, with all the latest research. You know, boiled down into bite-sized tablets. You can you know chew and swallow on the way to work like and trust yeah. me i'm a physiotherapist yeah. who does that as well yeah. fat neils fantastic yeah. like super well respected in the industry super up to date i've actually had his membership and it was brilliant bite-sized um lectures on on different topics all the most up-to-date evidence-based best practice mm. Right, so yeah, that's that's how that's how you're going to serve yourself and your clients. Yeah, well, good chat. You know, it was kind of a heavy one, but uh, I think it had to be, had to be had. Yeah, it had to be had, and you know, we're here to we here to chat to anyone who wants to have a <laughs> chat about this episode. Um, 
as always. And um, yeah, thanks for listening, everyone. Yeah. Well, if you're still if you're still listening, good on you. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> this was a, this was probably our longest yet, was it, Ralph? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, it's the the time is telling me it's we're almost at one hour twenty minutes. So, um, Woo. Yeah. love it. Long form, we call that. That's yeah. called a long form. Joe Rogan, yeah. watch out. Yeah, <laughs> work our way up to three hours. Oh, we can. Oh, I reckon we could get there, Ralph. You and I for sure. Hey, if people like this, you know, and wanted to support us, what could they do? You give us a five star review. And how do I do that? <laughs> you just literally just. Click five stars when you when you're listening to your, your just podcast. In, just in your podcast app, whatever app yeah. you're listening is, just like tap on it and it's like write a review right there, right in the app when you're listening to it, and just tap on five yeah. stars. And if you want and to write got, some words, even better. yeah, yeah, if you've got a little extra time, a little shooting us a little message. And again, I really love um, we're getting tagged in a lot of the when you, when you guys are listening, you're posting that to your Instagram stories and tagging Raf and I and Breathe Edu in it, which is really lovely. I get. I get a thrill every single time I see mm. that. So please don't think that I'm just like, oh, here we go, another post. Like I'm like, oh, this is like I, I still get so excited that you guys mm. are listening and getting something really helpful from this um, That that's really powerful to me. So thank you. Mm, I think we're building, you know, a community around the world and we've got, you know, a lot of listeners in Australia, but we've got a lot of in- listeners all over. Like we've got listeners in uh, right throughout Europe, across the US, in Asia, in Canada, um, in uh, in um, the UAE, um, yeah. So we've got we've got listeners all over the shop. Uh, New Zealand, obviously, um, and uh, yeah. So if you're listening, and really, I, yeah. And I've got to say, Raf, we're talking about you know we started this talk today with you've made your happy list. And and for me, a real and true, and I've truly, I've said this to you, um, a true highlight for me of this year has been this happening, this podcast. Mm. Uh, you know, I'm, I've always said to, you know, I've always felt like I've got a lot to get out there, but I, you know, I'm not really into the medium of writing so much. So, you know, don't kind of get my words out as well that way. So, for me, this has been a real step into getting to to put out there, you know, my voice, um, and getting to do it with you, Raf, is has just been, you know, whack, I'm whacking that right at the top of the happy, the happy flow state list, uh, and I can't wait to do more of it in 2021 and see where we take it. Yeah, thanks, Chloe. Um, yeah, likewise. I think for me, it's uh, what I enjoy most about this. You know, I always enjoy our conversations, and these are basically the same conversations we would have been having offline. You know. If yeah. if we wasn't if it wasn't a podcast, but um, I think what I'm enjoying about the podcast medium is that you know for me you know over a couple of decades in the Pilates industry, like one, the thing that has been grinding my gears the most and and reducing my joy in in working in this industry is just all of the fucking bullshit, like the the non scientific yeah. pseudo scientific backward thinking and the silence about it all and the the, yes, you know the the, the fear that yeah. you can't speak up and speak the truth. I yeah. think is really um, prevalent in yeah. the industry. Yeah, and so it's it's a it's a it feels like a real privilege to be able to start to break those norms and to you know to start to talk about those things that I think a lot of us are thinking, possibly most of us are thinking, um, yeah. but most of us you know probably are you know worried about saying because we. Th- think maybe no one else is thinking it but in reality most of us are i think 
Um, so yeah, that's, 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 that gives me a lot of pleasure. And when we get, um, you know, when listeners write to us and say that, Mm. which we get almost every week Mm -hmm. um, from around the world, like, yeah, that really makes us, that really, you know, puts a smile on my face. Yeah. Huge impact. Mm. Thanks guys. Yeah. Thanks Ralph. After two exercise science degrees and over a decade and a half of reading research daily, I've condensed all the current science on rehab into a program called the Clinical Exercise Specialist Rehabilitation. Inside the program, I'll teach you to do three things. One, deeply understand how the body works. Two, confidently and expertly rehab literally any client. And three, get results for your clients. So ultimately, your clients tell their friends and you become known as the go-to expert in your area. This program is completely unlike any education you've done before, even if you've studied with us before, because of the way we've built the learning design. It's an online, flexible, skill-based learning program, which means you keep doing the skills under supervision until you're good at them. It's more of a mentorship model than a traditional course model. So rather than rushing through the content and having sort of one go at everything, you actually just practice live and we give you feedback and guidance and we dialogue and explore concepts together until you're highly skilled and confident. We just keep working the material until you get it. It's not rushed at all. It's not about ticking off the content. It's about engaging, practicing and applying it until you own it. This is a life-changing program, not some weekend certification. I've put my heart and soul into building this, and I can't wait to share it with you and help you discover your genius for anatomy and rehab. Now, because of the highly interactive nature of this program, we're only taking on 12 students worldwide. The program starts on March the 1st, and the first 12 qualified people to apply will be allowed to enroll. So if you're interested in learning more, click the link in the show notes and download the course guide or go to breathe-education.com and click on the clinical certification menu in our link in the top menu. That's breathe-education.com and click on the clinical certification link in the top menu.